Chris Sinzak, and Aaron Camaro. The latest and greatest happenings in the world of rock and metal music brought to you by your boys from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And this is Geek Wire. Yeah, we're going to break it all down, get you up to date on everything you need to know about what's going on in the world. My name is Aaron Camaro. Joining me as always, my main man right here with all the news, it's Chris Sinzak. What's going on, my friend? Oh, not much. Uh, enjoying Independence Day as we record this. So, yeah. A couple, couple beers in me, so pardon my slurring. Nice. Sweet freedom. Yeah. A uh, few uh, interesting items going on in the rock world. Thought we'd go over them real quick. Nudo Betancourt has commented on Extreme's new album, Six, and saying that, quote, people are starved for rock and roll like this. I've uh, I've got thoughts on this album. I thought I would kind of share my thoughts on this. Have you listened to the whole thing yet? Yeah, not the whole thing. I've listened to parts of it. I don't know. I'm not... I'm not really the biggest extreme fan. I dig some of their stuff. I think Nuno Betancourt's an awesome guitarist. I mean, musically, they're a great band. They write pretty good songs. They're about 30% for me, I think. Some of the stuff I really love a lot, but most of it is just, just kind of okay, I think. that's I, I wasn't too excited about it. Well, I mean, to me... I was never a giant fan of theirs either. I liked Pornography. I thought that was great. But I don't know. I mean, aside from that album, it's kind of hit and miss with me. So um, he is, I don't know. He contradicts himself a little bit in this where he kind of talks about how I think that really what's missing a lot is guitar-driven music. Um, there is great guitar playing on here. His solos on every song, I'll say that. Nuno's solos are great on every single song. But, I don't doubt that. But once you get past the first half of the record, and most of which is loaded with the singles they've released so far, which are all pretty good, um, it goes in a weird direction. I mean, a lot of ballads, which should not surprise somebody about Extreme. They, they're known for ballads. Yeah. But also, like, ventures into electronica and pop music. And it's it doesn't... To me, that... I don't know. That doesn't work. I wouldn't call it so much a guitar-driven rock and roll record um, due to the second half of it. Yeah. Have you ever listened to any of Nuno's solo stuff? I can't say that I have. He's got an album. What is it called? I can't even remember what it's called, but he's painted up like a pretty girl on the cover of it, and I think, oh, Nuno Betancourt's solo album. Wow. You know, when I found it, I thought, I didn't even know about this. And so I got it thinking, you know, Nuno's a good singer and a hell of a guitar player. This is probably going to be pretty cool. But what it is, is very weird. <laughs> yeah, he's um he's an interesting guy. Yeah, it's some kind of avant-garde that I don't understand. Well, I mean, his day job is uh, Rihanna's guitar player. So he, he he's got, he's kind of in that world. Not too long ago on a Radio Sucks radio show, I played a song by that band Hurt Smile that Gary yeah. Sharon was in, and there was some really good stuff on that. But yeah, the Nuno solo album was far out, too far. Hmm. Well, and the second half of this record is probably more from him. Um, somebody I saw reviewed it, and they said that 
the you know other than the singles the rest of the album sounds like solo album or you know different band project tracks that were laying around which might be true yeah it's weird though that i'm not really into his solo stuff because i um, i'm really i'm kind of a guitar nerd on, but and, and his playing on this record is great and the like even the you know the solo to rise is the one that got all the headlines but there's several solos on this record that are pretty awesome i guess i'm gonna really have to give that thing a try Go ahead and get it. I saw it in the record store one day, and I went, eh. <laughs> Well, I mean, did you like the singles that, that came out? Yeah. Yeah, I thought they were pretty good. They're the, they are what's redeeming about the record. The rest of yeah. it, you, you probably won't like. Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to see where that one ends up ranking at the end of the year. Should be interesting. You would think on paper, whenever Extreme releases a new album, it's probably going to be on that top ten at the end. For a lot of people's list, I don't know if it's going to make mine. I, I do like what I've heard. A lot of lot of downtune songs, which are probably to help Gary out for his vocals. But I don't know. It's like I don't I don't think of detuned guitars when I think of extreme. Yeah, and Gary Sharon was one of those guys, man. He really really worked his voice. Mm-hmm. He wasn't no slouch as a singer. He could hit all the notes. There's a lot of people that thought that uh, he should have been Freddie's successor in Queen. You know what? I could see that way more than I could him and Van Halen. Yeah. I could see that being successful where with Van Halen, that just wasn't going to happen. I was watching an interview with Nuno the other day, and he talked about how uh, they, or maybe it was with Gary, um, that they, they pissed off uh, the powers that be at the Freddie Mercury tribute show in 92, I think. Um, Because Extreme played, and they weren't supposed to play any songs that were in the set for the queen guys set actually they weren't supposed to play any queen songs period and they wound up playing like two or three just because they were so caught up in the moment yeah jeez they were great on that though and and that's why everybody was like oh gary should be the guy if they keep going and they were like no we hate that dude yeah maybe i don't know (laughs) it's kind of weird you get invited to a queen tribute show but then they tell you don't play any queen well, because they didn't want to be upstaged, you know. Then don't do, don't invite a bunch of people. Just go do it yeah. yourself. I think it was all water under the bridge, but yeah, they, they, I think they played Tie Your Mother Down, I think, or no, maybe that was, yeah, I think they did play Tie Your Mother Down. I don't remember, but they were, they were great. That's about as rocking as it gets for Queen. Yeah. We still need to do that heavier side of Queen up episode. Yeah, yeah. Ah, but then I got to listen to all that queen. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you'll find some stuff that you'll, uh, that'll make your playlist. Oh yeah. Like, uh, ogre battle. Yeah. That's my favorite queen song so far that I'm aware of. There's more that you'll like than I, than I think you realize. Yeah, I'm sure. Actually, I've been given some of it a chance. I don't know. One to two or three songs off of every album. I think at the most. For me. Um, well, they are pretty theatrical and kind of Broadway-ish. Yeah. Gong. All right. Uh, Twisted Sister uh, has a 40th anniversary expanded edition of Under the Blade coming out that is supposed to include an album of early cover songs that they recorded. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's cool. So it's them back in the day covering songs yep 
Wow, nice. Well, that was how they got popular to start with. They were just a cover band on the Jersey cover circuit. Yeah. So they they had all those old the classic hits, you know, down pat. But he, uh, yeah, they're apparently they're going to have at least Zeppelin and Aerosmith is all that's been leaked so far. But hmm. yeah, that would be uh, I'd be interested in that. I don't. Know, I've, I've kind of gotten as I get older, I'm more interested in the idea of the whole box set thing, even though they are expensive. But if it's something I really love, um, I'd be tempted to buy because I like demos and alternate takes and all that stuff. Yeah, you get a little glimpse into history of the band. Yeah. Man, I like that. And uh, that's what uh, J.J. French said, at least. So uh, that's a great record to do it with. Come on, guys. I need a CD. I hate it. These bands are scaring me that CDs are going to actually go away, even though everybody says they're going to make a comeback. Guess can't make a comeback unless you go away first. Yeah, I I really don't get that because there are still plenty of people that buy them. I know. I know that. Hmm. Well, hopefully they do, like a deluxe edition CD. Do you think that's the best deluxe edition album they should do from the their catalog? Hmm. I guess it really comes down to, you know, extra stuff from the era. You know, if these cover songs are from around that time, then that's cool. If the other albums don't have... I mean, because... I don't know. I like there's other I don't know under under the blades pretty awesome though. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it is. Either way, but whatever's got the most unreleased songs with it. That's what I'll take. I'm going to keep waiting for that Love is for Suckers box set. Yeah. There's some good stuff on Love is for Suckers. I like it. I always have. I know people kind of shit on that album, but there's some good stuff on there. I mean, it really was a D solo album that they renamed. I mean, because it was—it's not really a Twisted Sister record, but it's got a lot of enjoyable tracks on it. Yeah. All right. So, um, ex Wasp guitarist, ex Wasp guitarist Chris Holmes uh, is back in the news. I like Chris Holmes. He was asked why he didn't play guitar on Hearing Aids Stars, and he said, "Quote: It's because of a one man's jealousy." I read this. It's pretty shitty. He says, uh, speaking about his experience recording stars, he says, oh, he told uh, RPM Online, it was horrible. I knew Jimmy Bain well a year before he died when he said, Chris, we personally asked your management if you could come and play guitar. And they said that you had other obligations and couldn't. Did you see me playing guitar on there? And you know, I didn't. Or you know why I didn't? It's because of one man's jealousy. I went to sing on there. Yes, I sang on there because I went with Rod Smallwood, our manager at the time, and Blackie Lawless. Jimmy Bain asked four times, and they said I couldn't play. I had other obligations. That came from Blackie Lawless himself. He was jealous. He didn't want me being seen better than him. That's what happens when you work with a narcissist. That sucks. I mean... He was there. Why couldn't he have just played guitar? So it's not like he had obligations that, oh, my obligations are my guitar is going to be in this town on that day, and I'm going to come there, but I can't bring the guitar. That doesn't make any sense. He's going to be there anyway. Yeah, and then he um, he goes on. He says, that hearing aid thing is a crock of shit to me, a bunch of crap. It was nothing but a jealousy thing. I don't care what people say about that. 
when Jimmy told me that we were great friends, we hung out together. He said, we asked your management four times. I said, why didn't you just ask me personally, Jimmy? He said, we didn't know how to get a hold of you. Yeah. In the world before cell phones. I'll tell you what though. Um, our friend Rick Fox, you know, gets kind of vilified for speaking out against Blackie. But when then you hear people like Chris here, it sounds like the same type of treatment. Yeah, not good. What would have been the harm? Chris Holmes goes there and does a good job and helps boost the name of Wasp. It's all that ego. Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad because when I think of Wasp, mainly I think of Blackie and I think of Chris Holmes too. And there was, you know, of course there was other guys throughout the time of the band, but I mean, both of those guys were really Wasp to me all the way through. Yeah, they were kind of, you know, and this is really me making a stretch, calling them the Jagger and Richards of that band, but they were, you know, they were the two personalities that led it. I was going to say they were the Lennon and McCartney of throwing meat. Well, I didn't want to go as far as comparing Blackie and Chris to Lennon and McCartney. Like, Jagger and Richards is bad enough. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, people are going to be like, really? You're going to equate those guys? But like, yeah, like one, one band did Wild Child. I rest my case. All right, what else we got? All right. So, yeah, so Chris Holmes, still mad at Blackie. Um, former Tesla guitarist Tommy Skio, who uh, we interviewed on the show a couple of years ago, has quit Resist and Bite. He's no longer in the band. Now he's joined a what? band called Bad Marriage. Ooh, Bad Marriage is awesome. I don't know that I know any of their stuff. I'm certain. Have we played them? I'm certain I've played Bad Marriage before on the show. Well, then I have heard something. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, he's joined that band and it's just so bizarre because when we interviewed Tommy, that was set up by David Parks, who was their drummer at the time. And then David got ousted from the band and now Tommy quits the band. We kind of viewed it as those two's band. Yeah, that's, that was kind of the, what I thought. So does resist and bite go on? They're talking like they're planning on it. Wow. But bad marriage, man. That's, that sounds pretty cool to me. They're already a good band, but, you know, Tommy Skio coming to play guitar on your stuff only improves whatever you got going on. I have a conspiracy theory about this. You want to hear it? Yes, please. So from what little I've read, and I actually, I think Bad Marriage was the opening band that I saw open for Tesla here at the Ryman a few years back. Yeah. And they their album, I heard, was produced by Brian Weed of Tesla. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, there's a lot of Tesla connections here. You think this yeah. is this is the stepping stone for Tommy to get back into Tesla? That's what I think. Wow. I could be completely wrong. I don't know. But it, it would be interesting if that was the case, where it's like you tour with Bad Marriage a while, and we'll see how you do. And then if you do well enough, we'll get you back in the band. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because... From what I understand in talking to Troy and everything, none of those guys hate Tommy. And I don't think Tommy hates any of those guys. It's just that Tommy kind of went off and did his own thing there for a while, and they had no choice but to replace him. And then it was a long time. Well, I mean, a lot of it was Tommy's Tommy's drug problems was that's, the big issue. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think none of them hate each other, but... And it and Tommy had a problem for a long time, you know, and it wasn't like he was out for a year and then he came back. I mean, they got so comfortable with the other guitar player, which he's awesome too. 
Yeah, Dave Root is a great player. Yeah, and uh, but time goes on after a while, you know. But well, I don't think I don't see. Well, yeah, that's a lot of guitarists on stage for Tesla, though. No, but I mean, also, you know, Troy's not in the band anymore either. Yeah. So Steve Brown, who's um, Wild Mick Brown's brother, is their drummer right now. But this is just my far-flung conspiracy theory is that they're doing this as like a farm league thing for Tommy to prove himself, to get him back in the band, and then also at the same time bring Troy back in the band. Then you could market it as a reunion tour. Yeah. All the classic era members. Yeah. I mean, if Tesla, because now they've got time with Troy out of the band, and I'm not getting into Troy's business. And then their guitars, their current guitar player, Dave Root, he can join Bad Marriage. That would be funny. <laughs> so then he's not even out of a job. They keep touring together. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just, this is just me spitballing. It, it does suck to see Resistant Bike kind of yeah. fall apart like this because we really, really, really like those guys. Yeah. They're all very nice guys. Oh, they're super cool. The music was great. They were awesome live. Yep. Yeah, it's too bad, man. Well, I mean that uh, when they when they played the Rock and Pod pre party twenty eighteen, they were uh, it was them doing their originals going up against everyone else doing covers, and they held their own, and the crowd loved them. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. They were kick ass that night. Yeah, but uh, you know, I wish Tommy the best, no matter what he does. I have to check out Bad Marriage and listen to their stuff. But yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes on Resistant Bite and see what they end up doing. Yeah, I know they're still talking like they're going. Um, Vince Neal has announced that Motley Crue will embark on another stadium tour next year. And he says, we're not sure who else is going to be on it. So do you think Motley Crue really stands a chance going into stadiums again after the last year? Yeah, I do. Do you? I mean, they they draw as far as rock bands better than just about anybody out there right now. I don't think it would do well. I think it would. I think it would sell pretty bad. I think it would do well enough. I think they they had enough juice with nostalgia to sell well on the American tour this past year, but going out again and trying it, I don't know if it would work as well. Well, and like he says, we're not sure who else is going to be on it, so it's not just going to be crew. It's going to be other bands too. It would depend on that. Yeah, I think so. You got to mix it up. But you're going to have to bring somebody pretty good. Maybe that's where the reunited Tesla comes in. Well, that would be cool. The one that I think would make a major stadium tour and actually would draw real well would be Motley and Guns N' Roses on the same tour. I mean, I think um, I'm just, I would have envisioned GNR, Motley Crue, Rat, and Poison. Yeah. That's kind of the quintessential lineup. That would actually pack stadiums. Yeah, I think so. It would have to be something big like that. But, I mean, we'll it's, see. I mean, I, which, I, I'm still on. not going to go see Motley Crue live. And probably not GNR after what I saw they did at Glastonbury. Then Axel sounds awful. Really? Um, yeah, it, it, it didn't go well. Um, but, I mean, Motley, I mean, I, you know, they recorded stuff with Bob Rock, so I'm interested in hearing how that comes out. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in hearing that. I hope it's awesome. Yeah, and then they did a they did do a club show in uh, England the other night. They called themselves Dogs of War and and did a club set. They played. You got to fight for your right to party. They did. 
sounds like a bad idea on paper, but it was actually kind of cool. I haven't I haven't watched the footage yet. I'm kind of scared too. It was kind of cool, cooler <laughs> than I thought it was going to be when I hit play on it. Yeah. Um, are you ready for the no shit uh, story of the week? Sure. Yeah. Mark Storacci believes Crocus will carry on playing shows five years after announcing their farewell tour. Well, no shit. What else is Mark Storacci going to do? Hmm. So five years ago, they announced their farewell tour. Yeah. And now they say, well, everybody else does it. We can't yep. do. <laughs> How do you think Crocus would do if they did a tour of the United States? I mean, it's probably, well, it's been at least five years, probably a lot longer than that than they toured the States. Yeah. Would you go see Crocus if they rolled through town? I would, but like 50 other people might not. I would too. I'd go see it. I don't know how many people would show up. I bet you. I don't know. They could. I think they could do a club tour. I don't. Th- they could do like what Ugly Kid Joe just did. Yeah, I think they could do that, right? Yeah, parking lot shows and clubs and small theaters. I'd go see him. What the hell? I've been trying to give Crocus more of a chance because I was never into them, but they're so. I mean, because I don't know. People don't really talk about. The awesomeness of Crocus too much. No, I mean they they didn't really do much over here in the states, but like if you go to Switzerland, they're the biggest thing in the world. Yeah, you know, um, maybe they just play shows around there. I used to, I, I probably still have it. I have a DVD, like it's like a two DVD set that a, a listener sent to me years ago. Of um, it's a Crocus documentary from that was made in Switzerland, and it's very fascinating. Hmm. And it it gives you a new appreciation for them. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, plus they did an album cover with two dudes fighting in a forest fire. So <laughs> it can't be all bad. Exactly. I think that's, like, the only thing I really truly know about Crocus. <laughs> Any band that goes that route rules in our book. <laughs> oh, man. That was so long ago. I don't even remember the context of the conversation but i'll never forget talking about that i think it was one of your cutout bin episodes maybe that's what it was yeah because it was a weird crocus album like two dudes fighting in a forest fire it's like the worst album cover at and at the the best album cover ever at the same time yeah i think it got extra points (laughs) for the album cover (laughs) well the music wasn't too good but but the album cover is brilliant yeah so the next story i've got um it's a little misleading because it, it says David Lee Roth shares, which he did, but it's the documentary about Van Halen's appearance at appearance at the 83 Us Festival. Have you watched any of these uh, Van Halen mini docs that have come out? Yeah, David Lee Roth tricked me on that one. Like, I saw that headline, and I was like, huh. And then later on, I noticed it on YouTube, and I started watching it, and I was like, hey, wait a minute. I've seen this before. Yeah, so it's... This guy, I think it's called the t- the Tapes Archive, and he's got a bunch of old stuff. And he, he, but so he started making like little mini documentaries. He did a great one on Steve Vai that came out like a year ago. Um, if you haven't seen it, hmm. but he started doing a Van Halen series, and the first one was Building Fifty One Fifty Studios, and that it's a great one. And then the second one that came out was about the build up to the eighty three US Festival appearance. Okay. Initially, the Tapes Archive put it out, and then Van Halen's camp took it down. 
or they made oh, him take it down. Okay, all right. And then it started going back and forth where it would like it would be up for a couple of days and then it would get taken down again. And out of nowhere, David Lee Roth rele- you know, puts it out himself on his uh, YouTube channel or somebody representing him. Yeah. And I looked in the comments and it says like it's like the, the behind the scenes drama of this is almost more interesting than the documentary itself. But he, he was like the guy from Tapes Archive is like, thanks, Diamond Dave. If it wasn't for you, this wouldn't be out there. And then it gets taken down again. And he, um, I was following Reddit posts where this tapes archive guy was giving updates about it. Cause he's like, I can't only say so much, but the Van Halen camp took it down. And he's like, so stay tuned for updates. And then the next update was update. Alex Van Halen is a douchebag. Oh no. So Alex had stepped in and had it taken down, but now it's back up again on Dave's channel. And I think on the tapes oh, archive shit. channel and it, it's available for people to watch. And so watch it while you have a chance, because it's really well made. It's really good. Was there a series of them on Van well, Halen? It was going to be five parts, and this was the second one that got released, and that's when everything went to hell. Okay. So there's three other episodes that people are waiting on, but who knows if it's going to get released or not. I got you. So that makes sense, because i seen, I think, the first and the second one, yeah. And then I never see, I thought, well, you know, I'll get a notification or whatever when the next one comes up, and it never did. Yeah. But the one on the Us Festival, if you get a chance to watch it, it's great. Cause, it uh, is pretty cool. The whole story behind Van Halen, you know, having to be the highest paid band, having to get a million dollars to show up. Yeah. How David Bowie getting involved jumps up there, pay even more. Yeah. And their tent city they had backstage, and it's yep. pretty far out. Yeah, and um, David Lee Roth's interview with Mark Goodman on MTV. <laughs> um, yeah, that was like, and then Mark Goodman came to Rock and Pod and then told the story about how basically he was doing coke with David Lee Roth that day. Wow, uh, that's wild. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how many people can say that? Well, when you mention it, probably a lot. Yeah. But the the guy that does those um, does an amazing job and really digs deep for info. So um, hopefully we'll get to see the last three. I'd like to. I definitely would. I love the first ones I saw. Yeah. All right. So we're about partway through. You want to take a quick break and do my little segment? Yeah, go for it. All right. You guys know how it goes. The past, the present, and the future. Rockstar birthdays, rockstar death days, and albums to look forward to. My notes... They're not stellar because I've been pretty busy, but I got a list. So let's start out with this one. I want to give a shout out to James West. I missed your birthday, brother. I didn't mean to. Happy belated birthday to you. Grayson Gallegos celebrated a birthday on the 28th. So jealous of him. He went up to Wisconsin and seen Stevie Rochelle and Tough. Oh, nice. Man, the photos... Those guys had a blast. Got to hang out with Stevie a little bit from the pictures I seen. Looked like an awesome time, guys. Very cool. Uh, let's see. Celebrating a birthday on the 29th, Ian Pace. A legendary figure in rock and roll, of course, of Deep Purple. On the 30th, celebrating a birthday, Phil Anselmo, the one and only lead vocalist of Pantera. Well, the one and only one you ever really think of when you think of Pantera. Terry Glaze has entered the chat. (laughs) (laughs) 
Did you know that Philip Anselmo shares a birthday with Ingve Malmsteen? No, but it's interesting picturing the two of them hanging out. That'd be weird. I kind of think they'd probably get along, you think? Maybe. Like, they don't get along with anybody else, but they love each other. Yeah, probably. Celebrating a birthday on the 3rd, Stephen Piercy of Rat, one of the most awesome bands of that era. Love me some Stephen Piercy and Rat. Yep. Let's see. On the 4th, Independence Day, baby. I never knew this. Former guest to the show, born in 1964. Happy birthday to Mark Slaughter. Nice. Let's see. Who else we got in here? We'll go a little bit in the future here because this will be coming out later. Uh, On the 5th, born in 1954, Jimmy Crespo. Where are you, Jimmy Crespo? Great guitar player. That's the guy that replaced... uh, Joe Perry and Aerosmith, right? Yeah, him and Rick Dufay. Rick Dufay, that's right. What are these guys up to nowadays? Nothing. <laughs> Celebrating a birthday. That's what they're up to. On the 8th, happy birthday to Carlos Cavazzo. Did you see that that uh, magazine article that came out on the internet about him? Uh, No. There was like an article that it was about the in a Lamborghini Countach that he bought in 1985 that is now up for sale again. That's that 1985 Quiet Riot money, baby. Yep, it's going to go on forever. Hmm. Happy birthday, Carlos. Yeah. I wonder what he drives nowadays. Not a Lamborghini. Uh, let's do one more. Celebrating a birthday, one of my favorite bass players ever. On the ninth, happy birthday to Frank Bello of Anthrax. Nice. Frank Bello came out with an EP last year, I think. It's great. Yeah. He's a good singer. You know what? I was pretty surprised by that. Yeah. I didn't expect him to be that good of a singer, but yeah, very cool. I liked it. I liked the songs I heard off of it. Mm-hmm. Still waiting for the CD version to be available. Man, they're all screwing you with the, the lack of CDs. What the hell's going on? I don't like it. But those are your rock star birthdays. If I missed you, I know I did. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. Like I said, my notes aren't that great this week, but for rock star death days, here's the folks we want to remember. Legendary manager of Billy Idol, Man of War, Stars, Tantric, I didn't know that, Crossbreed, New England, Flip, and a little band you might have heard of called Kiss. Lost him back in 2010 on the 28th at the age of 66. Talking about Bill Coin. Yes, sir. Every year at Rockin' Pod, I signed Tom Feely's petition to get Bill Coin inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think he should be there. You know, it's funny that like that Neil Bogart got the biopic made about him, which I it, it's enjoyable for the most part. Um Bill Coin would be an interesting biopic if it was like no holds barred. Well, that would be far out. Yeah. If it was no holds barred, I don't know what you'd rate it. Yeah, it would be pretty up there. <laughs> um 
But uh, yeah, Tom Feely, Tom Feely invites us every year to come down to Florida to go to La Tub, which was his favorite place to hang out, and uh, I think it's Fort Lauderdale. And uh, of course, never, we're never able to make it down there. But uh, one of these days, it'd be cool to go down there and, and you know give him a toast. Yeah, so that recently happened down there. I'm I love Tom Feely for keeping the the keeping Bill's name alive. You know, yeah. Because he was so important to guys like us that are KISS fans. He deserves to be remembered and celebrated. Let's see. Who else we got here? Mel Galley. I don't know if you know about Mel Galley. He passed away back in 2008 on the 1st of July. He was the guitarist for Trapeze. Okay. But then he joined Whitesnake in 82. But he got hurt somehow. I don't know this whole story. I want to know more about this. And if somebody knows about this, I'd love to know about it or hear about it in the comments section on this episode. Apparently, he hurt himself somehow and hurt his hand. But through the invention of a thing that they called the claw, which was this device that had wires and springs on it that he would wear on his hand, Mm-hmm. He was still able to play guitar. Wow. The Claw, Mel Galley, passed away in 2008 at the age of 60. Fucking cancer. Mm. It's terrible. But I want to know more about this Claw. I looked him up and I couldn't find any pictures of him with it. I want to know what it is. Man, this one's old school. Lost him back in 1969. Originally, this guy was like the focal point in the Rolling Stones, but then later it would shift to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards talking about Brian Jones. Now, my notes aren't really up to date on a lot of these. Did he drown in a swimming pool or something? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Was he on drugs? Well, that all that's up for debate. Some people think it was a hit. Some people think it was an accident. Some people think it was a suicide. Oh, shit. It's a, you know, who knows? There's a lot of different theories on that one. Like Mick Jagger and Keith Richards got together and said, we are never going to be able to run this shit while this guy is around. There's people that believe that. Yeah. Because I yeah. think I remember hearing like Brian Jones was kind of a badass. Like if those guys got out of line, he'd just beat them up. He was a very strong personality in that band. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting to think how things could have been different or would have been different. Well, I'm the guy saying Tommy Skio's joining a bar <laughs> get back in the Tesla, so don't listen to me. You're a conspiracy theorist, Chris Sinzak. Uh, yeah, I've just had too much beer to drink today. That's all that is. This is supposed to be a respectable news show, not skewed in any way. Yeah, well, we're, we're recording on 4th of July, so give me a break. <laughs> Here's an All-American that we can remember. Passed away on the 3rd back in 1971. Lead vocalist of The Doors, songwriter, Lizard King, Jim Morrison. And I could spew a bunch of conspiracy theories about this one, too. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people think he's still alive out there somewhere. I'm pretty sure he drank himself to death. Yeah. But there's people that think that, though. He led a hard party in life. Yeah. That's too bad, man. I was really a big fan of Jim Morrison, especially when I was young. I was like, that guy was the coolest. 
But then you get a little bit older and you go, man, that guy was kind of wacky. He was the coolest unless you had to live with him, I'm sure. Yeah, that yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. But yeah, one of my favorite vocalists of all time. Wish they'd have just let Ray Manzarek play bass instead of the keyboards. <laughs> I, I stand by that. Like, if I could change almost anything in rock history, I'd say, Ray Manzarek, pick up a bass guitar. So you're saying if you switch the keyboard lines and the Doors songs from the first record to bass lines, would they be credited for inventing heavy metal before Black Sabbath? I bet they would. Maybe. I bet they would. They would definitely be considered forefathers of hard rock and metal, I think. And the songs are so great with the Doors, but it's always that kind of shit, you know, like, oh, man, come on. Quit tickling the ivories. Exactly. Don't do it. All right. Then we want to remember on the 6th, this one kind of tripped me out because, I mean, we know him as the guy that played drums on Ace Fraley's album, Second Sighting, and was and went on tour with him, was in videos with him, the drummer Jamie Oldacre, mm-hmm. or Oldacre, as John Regan would correct me if he was here. Yep. This guy did a lot of stuff. Like, I had no idea. Like, when he joined Ace Fraley, I was like, oh, man, no more Anton Fig. Who's this guy? But this dude did a lot of stuff. No, he was a very in-demand drummer back in the day. Yeah, made appearances on a whole bunch of kick-ass records. I mean, he was pretty legendary. When you really look at it like that, then you think, what the hell was this dude doing in Fraley's Comet, you know? Well, I mean, Ace used to brag about that he played for Clapton for so many years. Right, so, like, that yeah. was That was like his favorite thing to say, was to brag on Jamie being Clapton's drummer. Yeah, that makes sense. He did a lot of Clapton albums. Yeah. Hell of a drummer, man. Passed away in 2020. I'm not sure how. Hell of a drummer, but I still don't think was was not a good fit for Fraley's Comet. No, and I don't think his drums were produced right on that album. That album's kind of funny with the way the production is on it. It makes everything kind of sound, made the drums kind of synthesized in places. Yeah, they were just following trends. And that's not what you think of when you think of the drumming of that dude. No, but like even the um, the Hammersmith Odeon footage that uh, actually Eddie Trunk was the guy filming all of it that leaked on the bootleg market for years, and Jamie's a good competent drummer on that stuff, but it's still there's something about like he like Ace needs a pocket player, which Anton was good at kind of holding back and playing a little behind the beat, and yeah. then Jamie's more of like a technician type player, and Anton can do that too, but Jamie's like. Almost a better drummer for pop music than for rock music. I could see that. I thought Sandy Slavin was a better drummer for Ace than uh, than Jamie. This is like the worst tribute ever to somebody who passed. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It is awful. Yeah, that guy's definitely missed by the rockers that know him. Let's see. Let's go up a little bit further. Back in... Oh, wow, I was surprised by this one, too. Back in 2006, Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd passed away. And I, for some reason, thought that Sid Barrett had died, like, a long, long time ago. (laughs) But really, he just sort of lived a life of seclusion, huh? 
Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of died in the 70s to public life. But, uh, yeah, he, like, went into hiding forever. Did he still come out with albums after that? I don't, I'm not an expert, but I don't, I don't think he did. I think it was just the 70s stuff. I could be wrong. Because I swear, because well, I, I was in the CD store one day, and there was, like, a Sid Barrett album. And I thought, I didn't think that guy did anything. But I, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I'm not a fan of that early Pink Floyd stuff. I like it better after Sid Barrett's out of the band. Actually, yes, he did put out stuff during the off years. Okay. Quite a bit. And it was expensive. And I thought, well, I'm not going to spend that much money on a Sid Barrett album. What's that going to be like? (laughs) You never know. It might be cool. I have no idea. Let's see. Yeah, let's wrap it up there. Because... I got a lot of albums to talk about, stuff coming out. I told you guys we had a big one coming, and this is it. It is upon us. Remember all those people. Listen to some Fraley's Comet, Second Sighting. There are some good songs on it. Let's take a look to the future right now. Slightly to the past, a little bit to the future. About albums coming our way. Let's kick it off on the 30th of June. These albums are already out. The Melvins. I know, Chris, you love the Melvins, especially that abortion clinic album. (laughs) I buy everything they put out. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you'll be excited to know you've got the opportunity to get something else. It's called At the Stake. It's a box set called The Atlantic Years from 93 to 96. Everybody's coming out with box sets. If you're a fan of the Melvins, hopefully there's some cool stuff on there. Also came out on the 30th. Raven has got their new album out. I've been reading some reviews about this. I haven't had a chance to pick it up myself yet, but I'm going to. It's called All Hell's Breaking Loose, and rock and rollers are loving it. Yeah, I haven't heard it yet either. I'm, uh, I, got, I need to get that one, because the, everything they've put out in the last few years I've really liked. It's one of them bands that arguably what they're doing nowadays really kind of rivals the stuff, the classic stuff they're known for. Yeah, I don't even like their, I don't like their old stuff, personally. You know, when I was young, I had the album where the dude's ripping his shirt or his chest, his skin off his chest, and it's a robot underneath that says, stay hard. And then the drummer looks like Ultimate Warrior wearing a hockey helmet. When I was a kid, I really tried to get into that, and I just, I don't know, it never really grabbed me. There were certain songs on it I liked, and then after that, I never listened to Raven anymore. But now... Like in the last ten years, these guys have been killing it. No, I love the yeah the the last few three, two three records they've put out. I've liked the better than their old stuff. Shoot, yeah. So go get that one. It's out now. I wanted to ask you about this band if you'd ever heard of them because they're coming out with their first new album in eight years. It's called The Passion of Dionysus. Dionysus, whatever. It's a band called Virgin Steel. You know about this band? It rings a bell, but I don't, I don't think I've heard any of their music. I've seen some of their CDs, too, and I said, I don't know who they are. They might be metal, but I'm not sure, and so I never got them. And then they popped up on this list, and I was like, so this is a band from back in the day, and they're a rock band, and I kind of regretted not picking those up. But if you know about Virgin Steel, like I said, The Passion of Dionysus, It's their first new album in eight years, and it is out now. Here's a band 
I don't know if you know them, but if you do, it might be a minute since you've heard of them. Remember the band Bangalore Choir? Mm-hmm. They got a new album coming out. But I recognize the name from back in the day. It's odd that they would pop up with a new record. Yeah, it's called Center Mass, and it's coming out on the 7th. Mm. And I'm intrigued. I want to hear it. This band just, the name screams Metal Edge Magazine in my brain. Like, I oh, know yeah. this band from somewhere, and it is that era. I have no idea what they've done in the meantime, if they've been around this whole time, or if this is a big return, but Bangalore Choir. Who knew in 2023? <laughs> All right. New live album coming out. There's a bunch of albums coming out on the 7th. Here's another one. It's a live album from the one-time lead vocalist of Iron Maiden. Now, I'm not talking about Paul Diano. I'm talking about Blaze Bailey. Yeah, new live album. It's called Damaged, Strange, Different, and Live. That's coming your way on the 7th. Also on the 7th, The Butcher Babies. That's a pretty good band. I know a lot of people like them. They got an album called Eye for an Eye, Till the World is Blind. That one's out on the 7th. Here's a band I know you love because they made your top 10 list a couple of years ago. This is a young up-and-coming type band that people need to pay attention to. It's the Dust Coda. They've got a new album coming out on the 7th called Loco Paradise. Awesome. Shoot, yeah, I knew you'd be excited to hear that. Uh, Talking about reissues and box sets and all that good stuff, Hatebreed. They've got reissues coming of Rise of Brutality and Supremacy. I think there's extra stuff on there. I think it's fancy vinyl. If you're a Hatebreed fan, you got to have it all. You're going to have to get that. The next one, I told you. I warned you all. I told you it was coming. And now it's finally here. The new album from Mitch Malloy. <laughs> Didn't he used to be in Great White? I hear he gets asked that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Last Song, and it's out on the 7th. If you love Mitch Malloy, I don't hold it against you. He's all right. In other news, thanks to Mitch's mom for listening this week. All right. Cool. Good to know. All right. Also on the 7th, I'm telling you, the 7th is a day that will go down in rock and roll infamy in 2023 because all these great albums coming out and Mitch Malloy. (laughs) Also on the 7th, new album from Nita Strauss called Call of the Void. It's cool to see that she does stuff on the side, too. She's very talented, good singer. I mean, everybody knows she's an amazing guitar player. If you love that stuff, you got reason to be happy right there. Here's another band that you, Chris, have turned me on to, so I've been paying attention to them, watching for new music, and it is here. The band is The Raven Age. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. Who's who's who, somebody's kid, right? I can't remember the story behind it. Like the the main guy behind it's like two guys that started it and then they kind of recruit all these different guest stars to play on it. Okay. All right. So but is it like Steve Harris's kid? Somebody's I, kid, somebody well known's kid is involved in this somehow, I believe. I can't think of it. But the album's called Blood Omen out on the seventh. 
So there you go. A lot of new albums coming your way. Yes. No, no new albums from Yes. No. Son, son of Steve Harris. All right. See, shit. I do know what I'm talking about sometimes. <laughs> I knew it was something like that. But I remember you played them on the show, and it was awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. Like I said, it's called Blood Omen. So there you have it. you got new albums. Raven. Bangalore Choir, believe it or not. Blaze Bailey, if you want it. Butcher Babies, they're still around. Support new music with the Dust Coda. Get those reissues from Hatebreed. Nobody's going to make fun of you if you get the new Mitch Malloy album, I promise. Get Nita Strauss, The Raven Age, good stuff. We got a lot of albums recently been released for more future albums coming our way. So 2023 is looking pretty good so far for what we've gotten. And new stuff gets announced all the time. I just found out the other day there's going to be a new KK Priest album before the end of the year. Yeah, I had that in my list. Uh, have you heard the new song that came out? No, I didn't hear the song yet. It's way better than anything on that first record. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. All right. You got to get through the, the first like verse and chorus. You're going to be like, ah, it's more of the same. But then after it gets past that, it goes into some really cool stuff. Right on. That's cool. I'm glad he's still out there doing stuff. It's you know, It would suck for him just to quit. He's too good. Yep. Nice. So there you have it. Those are your new albums to look forward to this week. Your rock star death days, the people you need to remember, and the people you want to salute because it's their birthday. And that is the Camaro segment. All right. Um, Some more Van Halen stuff in a new interview with That Rocks, which is basically the YouTube version of that metal show with Don Jameson, Jim Florentine, and Eddie Trunk. Um, Former Van Halen bassist Michael Anthony was on there. And uh, the the headline that's getting hit now is a story that he shared on here, and he says that there were always there was always drama on the Roth tours. There were there were times, God, I forget which tour it was. I'll just give you a real quick story. Not so much drama, just how it was with Dave on tour. We're staying somewhere in the Midwest, and Dave, after after this, we all kind of came to the conclusion that he was bipolar because he would be great, and then all of a sudden he would just kind of freak out or whatever. And one night. We had a night off and everybody was, whatever we were doing, it was like around midnight, one in the morning, and everyone was pretty much back at the hotel. And I hear all this commotion going on in the hall and pounding and screaming, and I'm going, what the hell's going on? So I put my shorts on and I go walking down the hall and our security guys have got Roth in a straight jacket. Our security guys carried a straight jacket on tour. I won't get into that part of it, but they used to carry a straight jacket on tour and Roth was just like screaming naked. What? sitting in one of the security guys rooms wearing the straight jacket. And he says he liked to drink Jack Daniels, but he couldn't handle it. Like I can handle it. Yeah. Dave have a little bit of Jack Daniels and get a little crazy. And I guess they found him wandering around outside the hotel naked. And this was just one night out of seven nights a week being on tour. <laughs> wow. As a security precaution, you bring a straight jacket with you on tour. Yep. In case somebody gets so out of line, you got to put them in it to make sure that they get to where they need to be the next day. Yep. Wow. So uh, apparently he wanted to have like the whole staff fired the next day, and the, the manager was like, ah, shut the fuck up. <laughs> wow. Yeah, see, I couldn't do it either. I couldn't drink Jack Daniels all the time like that. You'd have to get a straight jacket for me. Well, yeah, certain al- certain alcohol can make people into very different people. 
Yeah. And then you feel obligated to drink it because that's the cool rock and roll thing. But then it bites you in the ass. You got to be like Alice Cooper. Just sit beer all day. Yeah, just drink Budweiser. From morning till night. <laughs> I had that issue with uh, gin. Like the one, the couple, I didn't really like gin, but like I've had a, a like a small handful of times that I've drank it in uh, to get drunk. And every time I turn into a, a real dick. Huh. For some reason, it makes my, my temper flare. Yeah. I've seen people and heard people getting that way with tequila. Yeah. I don't know. I never, I never get mean. I just get sick. <laughs> yeah, Jen was the only one that ever did that to me. Everything else, I, I'm a happy drunk. You know, I just, I just get a buzz and I kick back. But like for some reason, Jen makes me like all keyed up and amped up. I don't yeah. know what that's about. And you know, honestly, I think I've only drank gin once in my life because, of course, you want to get it cold yeah. because you're going to try it because the song "Cold Gin." And I remember drinking it and going, "This is." fucking awful and probably i don't think i've ever drank gin ever since yeah that's a one-time deal i only drank it like three times and every time i turn into a prick huh we should get you all hopped up on gin one time and record it and see what happens (laughs) just be like ranting the whole time (laughs) (laughs) a whole list of people i tell to fuck off you can go see motley crew if you want to you dumb fuckers but I'm yeah. not going. Well, we have some of that in our next uh, episode. <laughs> uh, Queen's Ryan May says that he'd love to make a sequel to Bohemian Rhapsody, the biopic. That doesn't seem like a very upbeat movie. So here's everything that happened after Freddie died. Well, no, because he wasn't dead yet at the end of that movie. Yeah, but I mean, so we the- we have to. It's a movie about the decline. It's like the total opposite of the other movie. It's not a celebration. It's a real bummer. Oh, it could be a real depressing film. Yeah, it'd be like now. a lifetime movie or something. Yeah, let's watch this guy crumble into nothing. I don't think so. That's a terrible idea. Well, you know, the Sasha Baron Cohen was supposed to be the original choice to play Freddie. Did you know that? What? Yeah, he was. He was on board, and they were like, like working through the script. And You're talking about the Borat guy, exactly. No yep. way. No, I'm not lying. He was the original person that was going to play Freddie, and he was on board. And then, and like he should, I'll send you the. There's an uh, Howard Stern interview clip with him talking about this. That he got on board they started working on the script and like during the early process brian may came to him and said it's going to be interesting though because it's only going to be halfway through the movie that that freddie dies that was the original idea they wanted the rest of the movie the second half of the movie to be be about their comeback with adam lambert and sasha baron cohen was like i'm not doing the movie now wow and he backed out. Yeah, that seems pretty lame. They changed course, and that's why you saw what you saw. Yeah. I don't know. The guy that played him, I think, did a pretty excellent job. He did great, and he looked just like him. But that would have been so dumb, and that would have totally ruined the movie. What, like, with Sasha Baron Cohen? No, with if Freddie oh, died in the middle of the movie. Point? Yeah. And then, like, the highlight of it is, like, but then 
we were on the Wayne's World soundtrack. Like, that's kind of the direction they wanted to go with it. And, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen was like, well, I don't want to be involved with this. Like, the, the Freddy, Fred, the end of Freddy's life needs to be, like, the highlight. He wanted to go deep into, like, the sex and the drug part, too. Wow. Like, he wanted it to be more of a dark portrayal. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think people wanted to remember Queen that way. No, I think the way it came out was probably the way they needed to do it. Yeah, I would think that Queen fans overall would be happy with it. I mean, I'm sure if they're like us Kiss fans, you know, they probably picked it to pieces. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of inconsistencies and errors and stuff historically. But when you're doing a movie like that, it's meant to be uplifting you know so you want to see him go from nothing to that concert yeah but i mean nobody's going to want to see another biopic picking up the story from there on no i mean what do you do follow the other guys and what they go through after freddie's gone i mean i'm sure i'm sure that's probably pretty interesting too because here these guys you know they're in a band and the reason the main reason not the only reason but the main reason that they are anything is because of this guy that's their lead vocalist that everybody recognizes, you know, and then he's gone. Well, damn, what do I do now? Right. Because you're never going to, like, if they said, okay, we're going to carry on now. We're going to not stop. We're going to keep, we're going to find a new singer. Like, back when, when Freddie died, if they would carry it on immediately, it wouldn't have worked because Freddie was too much of a piece of Queen. They have to let Queen die with Freddie. You have to let him. You have to let the people miss you first. Yeah, but I mean, who wants to watch him? Nothing against the guy, but who would want to watch like an infomercial about Queen with Adam Lambert? Well, they did end up doing a documentary on it like a year or two ago. And it's actually interesting to watch, but it's not like a biopic where they have, like, actors playing right. these parts. Yeah. See, that's different. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. It's interesting seeing how it all worked out. But, uh, but like, I don't – they kind of shot their wad with what they, what they released. That Adam Lambert's a hell of a singer, though. And he is kind of a metal dude deep down, I think. Well, he fits the part just right. Um, I haven't seen him live with him, but from what I've heard, he's really good. Yeah. So I'm happy for him. Now it's got to be better than that Paul Rogers shit. That was so weird. I was expecting that to be so good. Well, it sounds great on paper. Paul Rogers singing for Queen sounds great. Yeah. You got a songwriter in it and everything. But then they released the record. And it's like, ah, this is not right. No. Because everything Paul Rogers is in, kind of like we always say about Glenn Hughes. It sounds like Paul Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been in a hundred different bands, but they all sound like Paul Rogers. Guess what? On the iPod, the free, the bad company, his solo stuff, it's all under Paul Rogers. Yeah. Just to keep it all together. And the two or three songs that were halfway decent off of Queen with Paul Rogers. Because there's not a lot. Found more than I did. Okay. So uh, there's a new ZZ Top album coming out, and apparently it's going to feature some tracks that were recorded with late bassist Dusty Hill before he passed. Oh, man, that's awesome. It'll be the follow-up to 2012's La Futura, which actually, I love that record. I think it's great. That album is kick-ass, man. 
really good. I love ZZ Top. Yeah. I didn't really know nothing. I mean, I remember in the videos, you know, from MTV when I was a kid. And ZZ Top was always kind of cool, but not in like a Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Metallica kind of way, you know. But they were still always pretty cool. But when I got older and really went back and listened to that, it was like the stuff in my era of growing up was the worst ZZ Top. But it was their most popular yeah. But that last album, man, was so good. For me, it was like my first guitar teacher. That was like the main thing that would, the, the lesson would always delve, it would always devolve into me bringing in like whatever Motley Crue or Skid Row song I wanted him to teach me. Yeah. Into 20 minutes in, he's showing me Billy Gibbons riffs because he was a massive fan of Billy Gibbons and ZZ Top. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, yeah, it's okay, but it's not Motley Crue, and it's not Rad or whatever. And But as I got older, like any time I listen to that, especially the, the classic ZZ Top stuff, I'm like, God, this is so fucking good. Yeah, you go back to those first few albums, man. That first album really blew me away. Yeah. I mean, you listen to it now, and it's like it was so ahead of its time. Yeah. You know, it, it would take old school blues, but then modern it up, and but like the guitar playing is so fucking timeless. Shoot, yeah, and you mentioning Billy Gibbons puts a little spark in my memory to remind me that I wanted to say that I know people listen to this show all over the world, but if you are in the Nashville area and you are listening to this, Toddzilla's got a show in Nashville on July 14th, and it's a Friday night. Yeah. And so if you are in the area of Nashville or even anywhere close to travel in for it. It's going to be awesome. It's been a while since Todd Zilla's done something. And if you listen to the show, then you absolutely know who I'm talking about. And it'd be awesome to see you. I'm going, are you going? I am. I was actually talking to my wife today about it. I was like, we need to go to this, to, to Todd Zilla's next show. Cause it's been so long since we've caught up with him. Yeah. And I told the wife too, I said, you know, I've been promising you a Friday night date night. I found it, and this is what we're going to do. And she was all about it. Everybody loves Toddzilla. Yeah, and he's doing a Jones World show, so it's amazing music. Yeah, he's going to be rocking it out. I love it. I'm excited for it. I can't wait to see Toddzilla. All right, looks Uh, like we got a couple of more. (coughs) Yeah, a couple more. This is just a quick brief uh, comment I want to make. M. Shadows says that it's okay to hate the new Avenged Sevenfold album. To me, um, like David Lee Ross said, I don't ask for permission. <laughs> Didn't ask, but thanks. Thanks for letting me know it's okay, because I, I definitely don't like it. I think it'd be funnier if you came out and you said, hey, it's not okay to hate our new album. You need to love it. What's wrong with you? I figured out what I don't like about them. What is it? The drums sound so. The drums and the guitar sound so thin. The drums sound like a fucking wind-up toy on their songs. They just there's no balls to their music. Like I can hear like if you produce their stuff differently, I would probably like it a lot more. Yeah, because they got decent songs. Yeah, there's not bad ideas there, and the riffs sound good, but like the, there's just no balls to the production of their music. They need to beef it up a little bit. Yeah, they like like M Shadows vocals are like. 50 times louder than everything else in the song. They were always supposed to be the band that came out from that era that were supposed to be carrying on 
the legacy of hard rock and metal music, but I don't know. They're, I mean, they're popular. They've lasted all these years. You got to give them something there. Whatever album that um, Backcountry was on, I don't remember what the album was called, but I, I liked that album at the time. But just everything sounds so thin. But that was so long ago. So that, I mean, you talk. Yeah. we talk about Avenged Sevenfold like they're a new band, but really mm-hmm. not even close anymore. These guys have been around for a long time at this point. Yeah. But I just wanted to make that cheap joke. Okay. All right, everybody. It's okay. You don't have to. So then I guess if we're going to wrap this up, then the subject that everybody's probably got on their mind is what's going to happen with Christmas in July. So technically, as you're hearing this, we are definitely now into July. And at last count, we were two reviews short of a measly 20 reviews that we asked for to bring you Christmas in July. So... I don't know. I'm of multiple minds on this thing. Like part of me says, maybe people just don't like Kiss anymore. Maybe they don't want Kissmas in July. Part of me says, you know, maybe people just, you know, nobody's got time for anything nowadays. We're asking them to take the time to write us a review or a recommendation. It's a pain. Nobody wants to do that. A lot of people do. Some don't. Whatever. Me personally... I just say, you know what? Let's fucking do it anyway. <laughs> I'm sure we can get two more reviews by next week, right? Why not? Let's go on faith. Let's just do it. Yeah, let's do it because Christmas in July is something that we've looked forward to all year long, you know, because now that the scheduling with Rock and Pot has changed, like that was one of the first things. It's like, oh, we can do Christmas in July again, you know, so we're not going to let it dampen our spirits that we couldn't get the 20 reviews they'll come i don't care we're gonna do it anyway what the shit it's Christmas in july it officially starts right now with the last news story on the geek wire this week yep so gene simmons did an interview recently with barbara caserta of linnea rock and says that both Ace Frehley and Peter Chris have turned down invitations to perform at Kiss's final concerts in December. Um, basically said for the fans, the older fans, the ones who've been around for 50 years, they're old, and some of them want to see Ace and Peter. Yeah, just the 50-year-olds and older. Uh, the newer fans never saw them, and they don't know. But the older fans wonder about Ace and Peter. Well, I asked both Ace and Peter a few times, do you want to come out for the encores? Do you want to do some shows? And they both said no. So I don't know what to say about that, but it's always welcome. And then he says, but there's many other big stars, superstars who want to jump up on stage and play a song, but we're not sure about that. Maybe the best thing to do is in the way we started. Four guys with guitars, no keyboards, no synthesizers, nothing, just playing. And, of course, rolling tape. I added that line. <laughs> you got me for a second there. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, how does that conversation even go? I mean, do they reach out to Ace and Peter and be like, would you guys like to be a part of it? And then Ace and Peter are probably going to say, how much? Yeah, man. What's it pay? Oh, well, I mean, you got to secure your own transportation to and from new york city and uh you know you're gonna have to pay for your own hotel and everything but you know we'll give you backstage passes and you'll be able to come back and you know you know you're obviously you're not going to be wearing the makeup 
you come out in the encore, we'll be three feet taller than you. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? How can I? You can't just, we invited him. You can't yeah. just do that. That's ridiculous. Well, for P- for PR sake, you have to give them credit because this is like their way of making themselves look like they did the upstanding thing. And we put the invitation out. Not the fact that we offered them no money. Um, they're not going to focus on that, but like they're getting good PR out of this, making it look like they're the good guys. And that's lame. Yep. Cause if you really had any true intention of doing that, it would have been in the works already a long time ago. Sure. Like it would have been announced. It would have been in the works. They would have came out and said, and appearing at these final shows, original members, Ace Frehley and Peter Chris, that's a draw. When tickets were about to go on sale for those shows, that would have already been handled if there was any intention of it at all. Now to come here in the towards the last hour of it all and go, oh, well, you know, now you mentioned it, you guys would you be interested in showing up and maybe coming out on stage and what? I don't know what they play rock and roll all night with us one last time. Yeah, you're gonna sell tickets based on us being there then that's one thing, but just, I don't know. I think it sounds like you're right. You're like, well, we offered and they said no. Yep. And he's right. You know, it's us, the old timers that actually care about that sort of thing that would like to see Ace and Peter get their final bows and kiss. But the young people don't care. They don't even know who half of them guys are. They don't even know. It's just kiss, you know, except the old folks like us that are bringing the young kids to the shows. Now that's Gene and that <laughs> one's Paul. And those guys over there, that's, that's the spaceman and that's the cat man. I would more respect them. If Gene just came out and said, you know what? We're like 95% sold on the final two shows. We don't need them. They're going to sell out anyway. Right. Yeah. That's just be honest. That's the thing, you know? Yeah. Cause they're not at this point to add them doesn't do anything more no they benefit they don't benefit at all they get more of a headache if they bring ace and peter on board yeah and like uh, who wants to see it anyway no uh uh-uh. <laughs> it's yeah if it's just some thrown together last minute bullshit who would want to see that but i mean they're, they're like i can't um, i can't envision anything but a train wreck with those four guys in their current conditions on stage together <laughs> there's no way it would be good <laughs> It might be entertaining. <laughs> it, would, it would be entertaining in a train wreck fashion, but like it's not going to be good. They did the reunion. Right. Let them, let them, let them ride off into the sunset. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Here's the thing: those last two shows are not going to be anything special. They're not going to be any different than the show they do in Crandon or the show ah. they did in Toledo. You know, it's okay. it's not going to matter. It's all it's going to be exactly the same as everything else. So. Why fuck it up by trying to do something special at the last second and convoluting the whole thing? Just do what you planned on doing, playing the same show that you've been playing for the last 20 years at Madison Square Garden one last time. Can I interject one more conspiracy theory? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Chris, what do you got? Okay, so... That you know they 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 sell this highest up VIP at all the shows where and these are like ones where you get to tour the stage and hang out with the band and all this stuff. Yeah. 
But the biggest thing about it is access to sound check, tour the stage, see everything hours and hours ahead of time. So they're doing a West kind of a final West coast show that same week at Hollywood bowl. They've never played at the Hollywood bowl. It's a legendary venue. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing one there. Then they're doing the two shows at Madison square garden. If you look on the ticket availability thing for the VIPs, the Hollywood bowl show, the last West coast show, they don't offer that VIP. So therefore no one will have access to look at the stage or anything. And then on the very last Madison Square Garden show, the very last show, they're doing the same thing. They're not offering that VIP. They're not. They're willing to not take thousands and thousands of dollars so no one can see what the stage looks like. Yeah, yeah. So my conspiracy is, I don't know that that means Ace and Peter are going to be involved, but I bet you they do like a throwback Love Gun stage for those two shows. And test it out in L.A. Maybe. It's just an idea. Huh. I guess because then it would ruin the surprise because yeah. people would be getting, you know, posting their pictures on the stage. But imagine that. I mean, like if they did bring Ace and Pete, not, I don't think you'll ever see a full st- a full show with those two guys. But the encores where they finally, Paul and Gene finally come to their senses and go, all right, the, the only right thing to do, and I would give them a tip of the hat for this, is pay Ace and Peter the money that would get them to come out and do the encores, get Peter to sing Beth. He can easily do that and then get, maybe get Ace and Peter on there to do rock and roll all night. Just do two songs. Yeah. I mean, that seems ideal. It seems acceptable. I think everybody'd be happy with that. Yeah. I mean, I give them credit for that because at least that's not some effort to making those two shows special. Right. It would be. I don't care either way, except that I'd like to see Ace and Peter get some recognition. I mean, if it really, truly is the end of Kiss, they deserve to be there. I'd love to see all four of them just sit in a in a circle with some chairs and and do like a long form conversation. Man, that's what I would want to see. That's it. Ace really pulls out his book. Here's my manuscript. I'm dumping it now. I mean it this time. <laughs> the gloves are off. The gloves are off this time. I mean it this time. Yeah, it's whatever. I don't know. But it'll probably be the same show everyone gets with Tommy and Eric, and that'll be it. Yeah. And there's, I guess, nothing wrong with that because it's the easy, easy way to do it. Nothing's going to go wrong. Those guys can do it on autopilot at this point. But I tell you what, Kiss-related stuff, I think since we're doing Kissmas in July, I think you guys are going to really enjoy next week. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, I know you will. We're going to introduce you to somebody new that most people don't know. But man, the stories you're going to hear are out of this world. So whether you like Kiss or you don't, you're getting Kissmas in July, whether you like it or not. So, this has been the last Geek Wire before Christmas in July begins. And we'll be right back here for all the festivities. We'll catch you next time. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.